Our topic today is the world, the flesh, the devil, and the church. Today I'm going to talk about same-sex marriages. But before I do so, it is my privilege today to welcome right here my wife, Beverly. Would you please welcome her today to... Thank you. Most of us have heard of the Books for Dummies series. The first one was printed back in 1991 to help people to learn how to run their computers. Well, a few years ago, I became one of their customers after I had bought my first computer and felt somewhat intimidated and confused. Well, after several years and a number of dummy books, I am no longer intimidated, just more confused. <laughs> well, not really. I have learned quite a bit, but I still need to learn a lot more. Since 1991, over 100 million of these books have been sold. Now, they also cover many other subjects besides computers. For instance, being a curious person, I wanted to find out just how many subjects they covered. And so I went into the computer, the internet, and I clicked on dummies.com, and then I clicked onto the page where they had all the titles, and this is what was printed. There's six pages, and as you can see, or perhaps you can't see from the back, but it's all in small print. Does anyone know how many different dummy books there are? There's over 800. 800. Now, admittedly, some of these are, you know, Mac 1, Mac 2, Mac 3, etc. But they also cover other subjects like cooking for dummies, marriage for dummies, <laughs> astronomy, auto repair, health issues, London and other cities for dummies, Disneyland for dummies, Parenting for Dummies, Chocolate Lovers Cookbook for Dummies, and many others. And if we can't find what we're looking for in these books, then of course we can always go to the libraries and the bookstores where there's millions of books. And then we have the satellites pouring down news and information through our TV sets. And last but not least, there's the internet. Now, we call ourselves the information age, and we surely are. However, with all this availability of knowledge, are we any wiser, do you think? Are we more moral and ethical? Sadly, I don't think so. The decline in the world in morals and ethics tells us that education and information does not, on its own, make for a happy, safe and secure society. The only sure and safe path to follow is found in this book, the Bible. Now, while the Bible doesn't actually call us dummies, it does talk about the foolishness of mankind. In Jeremiah 5, and Jeremiah's days were very similar to ours, he told his people back then, Hear this, you foolish people. 
You who have eyes, but you don't see. You have ears, but you don't really listen. And perhaps Jeremiah's meaning is best illustrated by the story of a Chinese philosopher who bought a powerful microscope. Now, he was delighted with its efficiency until one day he put some rice under the microscope and he found, to his amazement, that it was alive with bacteria and other creepy crawly things. But since rice was his main food, he could not reconcile that fact with the revelation of the microscope. And he solved his problem, or so he thought, by throwing the microscope out the door. Now, God's truth is like that microscope, isn't it? The Bible reveals things to us that we often don't want to hear. Some people throw the Bible out altogether. Others of us just ignore it. In Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul gives us some good counsel. Be very careful how you live. Be wise people, because we live in desperate times. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We are living in perilous times, aren't we? When confusion and foolishness does abound. But a true believer in God's word has nothing to fear. In Ephesians 3, we read, God can do anything, more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is within us. This same power that allowed Paul to do all his mighty works is still available to us today. And dear friends, let us not be fearful of what is happening in the world and even in the church. Let us not get discouraged or disillusioned let us not lose our confidence, for greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen. Today, we're going to talk about same-sex marriages. That's going to be one of several uh, issues that we're going to discuss today. And my topic is the world, the flesh, the devil, and the church. But before we get to this, I want you now please to take out your Bibles and hold your Bibles up high. And we're going to say some words to each other. We ready? Hold your Bible up high so we know that you've got your Bible here in church. So together, this is my Bible. This is God's Word. God has a message for me today. His message will give me everlasting life and make me a better person. I now open my heart to receive God. God's Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please turn to the first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 6. For those who are watching around the world in Australia, in the Philippines, and in Saudi Arabia, and in Iran, and in Russia, 
Europe and of course in the United States of America, Canada, we give you today just the warmest welcome. We're glad that you joined us here today. Genesis chapter 6, and uh, we're going to start at, let me see now, I think we're going to start at verse 1. Genesis chapter 6. This is a rather puzzling passage. When men began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim, or the giants, were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he'd made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals, the creatures that move along the ground, the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is a puzzling passage. It talks about the sons of God marrying women. And apparently they produced, some would say, such a race of rebels that God said, I'm sick of this, I'm going to finish them all. The Bible that was used by the early Christians is the Septuagint. That at least is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint. And when you read this text in the Septuagint, it says, the angels of God saw the daughters of men, and they took them wives, whichever ones they chose. This view was held by some of the church fathers, Justin, Martyr, Clement, Tertullian, and also in more recent times by the illustrious Martin Luther. Martin Luther taught that these sons of God here were the angels, fallen angels who married women on this earth and produced a race of outlaws. You can read this today in various translations of the Bible. There are some problems, however, with that idea that was taught by Martin Luther. For instance, would you come over here to Luke chapter 20, verse 34 and onwards, Luke chapter 20, Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 20, and verse 34 and onwards, and Jesus is talking about the earth made new. Jesus replied, 
The people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. So Jesus said, there's going to be no marriage in the kingdom of God, in the earth made new. Verse 36, for they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. Jesus said, in the resurrection, people are not going to marry because they're going to be like the angels. The Bible also teaches, of course, that angels are not flesh and blood and bones. Would you come here to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, please? Hebrews chapter 1, dear hearts and gentle people. In verse 14, it says, or the writer says, Are not all angels ministering, what does it say? Spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Now Jesus said, a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see that I have. So, to many people, it is an insurmountable problem that beings that are not made of flesh could marry the daughters of men. And so, we discount the idea that was taught by Martin Luther and some of the church fathers and that was believed by the authors or the translators of that wonderful classic the Septuagint. Therefore, we come to the question, who then are the sons of God of Genesis who married these beautiful women? While the term sons of God can be used concerning the angels, it is also used concerning those in this world who follow the truth of God, the children of God. Let me give you some illustrations. Would you come to Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 1 and 2? And these words are written by the same person who wrote the book of Genesis. Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verses 1 and 2. Book of Deuteronomy written by Moses, the servant of God. Moses says to the children of Israel, his chosen people, you are the children of the Lord your God. You notice this? You are the children of the Lord your God. In other words, you are sons and daughters of God. And then down to verse 2, for you are a people holy to the Lord, our, your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. And so, in this context here, the sons of God are the people of the Lord, the holy people of the Lord, his treasured possession. And then when you come to the New Testament, you'll find similar language. Would you come over here to Romans chapter 8 and verse 14? And of course, the New Testament writers were quite familiar with the book of Genesis. But notice the language they use here in the book of of Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. St. Paul says, 
because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And therefore, I'm suggesting today that these beings who are called the sons of God who married these beautiful women and brought forth a race of evil beings, I'm suggesting that the sons of God in this context are not angels who are incapable of marriage and having children. And rather these verses point to the true followers of God. Let me give you some history. The history of the early days of the human race. The Bible tells us that there were two classes of people. You all know the story of Cain. And the Bible tells us that the descendants of Cain became a wild, lawless people. And the Bible tells us that after the death of Abel, who was killed by Cain, Adam and Eve had another son, and his name was Seth. Would you come to Genesis 4, please? And here we have the story. Genesis chapter 4 in the Holy Scriptures. Genesis chapter 4, and notice verse 23 and 24. Lamech said to his wives, now, pause for a moment, Lamech was a descendant of Cain. Lamech said to his wives, a polygamist, Adar and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech seventy times seven. This man was a representative of the followers of Cain, a polygamist and a murderer. Verse 23, 24, 25 rather, Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Or other translations say, rightly so, at that time, men began to call themselves by the name of the Lord. And these people, in contrast to the sons of men, were the sons of God. I want you to notice some of their descendants. Notice verse 24, a famous Sethite. Verse 24, Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him away. And so here you have two classes of people, the sons of God and the daughters of men. And for a long time, the church and the world were separate. There were people who belonged to God and by their lives and by their deeds, you could say they are sons of the Lord. But there were others who became a race 
of desperate sinners. And when the sons of God forsook the teachings of God and joined themselves to the people of the world, it brought about such a state of corruption and anarchy and absolute wickedness that God said, I have had enough. And judgment came upon the ancient world because the world and the church became the same. If you notice Genesis chapter 6, 9 to 13, you'll notice what happened when the believers became one with the non-believers. Genesis chapter 6, Verse 9 and onwards, this is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his, of his time, and he walked with God. He was a Sethite. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. The Sethites, the sons of God, accepted the customs, the morals, the lifestyle of the children of Cain. The world was not converted by the church, but the church was converted by the world. And Jerusalem became Babylon. And upon the apostate church and an evil world came the judgment of Almighty God. It was the union of the church and the world that led to the great deluge and the wiping out of all humanity with the exception of a little remnant. The corruption of the church by the world led to Judgment Day and the destruction of the antediluvian world. The church today stands at the crossroads. The church, my denomination, the Christian church in general stands at the crossroads. Will the church remain faithful or will the church become married to the world? And I wish to tell you something. The destiny of the human race depends upon the answer that the church will give to that question. There are great issues that the church is facing. And when I talk about the church, I mean the sons of God, the sons and the daughters of God, those who profess to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we go through this talk today, I want you to honestly ask yourself the question, on what side am I going to stand? On the side of Christ 
or the side of the devil. Let me talk. Firstly, I have a number of topics, including same-sex marriage, abortion, a culture of violence, and the music of heaven and the music of hell. Same-sex marriage. I am astounded that we're even talking about this. Cast your minds back 10, 15, 20 years. A minister would be standing up in church and defending the teaching of marriage. A man and a woman. As you know, the Massachusetts Supreme Court has issued a decree that Massachusetts says it is perfectly legitimate, normal, and good for men to marry men and women to marry women. I am encouraged to see so many people in Massachusetts taking to the streets and saying enough is enough. This decision by these learned but foolish judges strikes at the very heart of the American nation because it strikes at the foundation of the home which is the bulwark of civilization. Now I am proud to say that I believe in God and I believe in the Bible. And I stand on the Bible. I don't care what the Massachusetts Supreme Court says. As Dr. Dobson says, now the inmates are in control of the asylum. I want you to see what the Bible says. Would you come with me to Genesis 1? And here it talks about marriage. Genesis 1. And I'm glad that President George Bush has said marriage is between a man and a woman. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and uh, subdue it. Chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. In verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. The Bible teaches that marriage is between men and women and anything else is an abomination in the sight of the Lord. Would you turn with me to Leviticus chapter 20? Leviticus 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, chapter 20, in the Word of God. And verse 13, If a man lies with a man as one lies with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. They must be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. People say, that's simply a custom. That is not merely a custom. It is the Word of God. And if you turn to the New Testament, it describes the act of homosexuality. Romans chapter 1, 26 and onwards. Romans chapter 1 and verse 26 and onwards. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. What is astounding is that most of the politicians are strangely silent. What's wrong with them? And what is the church saying? Where are the preachers of righteousness? I quote to you from Dr. James Dobson, the president of Focus on the Family, a great organization. It is with great concern that I share with you our considered belief that the institution of marriage is about to send into a state of turmoil unlike any other in human history. The homosexual activist movement which has achieved virtually every goal and objective is set out to accomplish more than 50 years ago is posed to administer a devastating and potentially fatal blow to the traditional family. The first blow came on June 10, 2003, when three imperious judges on the Canadian Supreme Court declared the exclusivity of marriage between one man and one woman to be unconstitutional. Characteristically, the decision to refine, redefine the historic institution was made by an unelected and unaccountable judiciary without the concurrence of the Canadian people or their representatives in Parliament. Legislation of so-called same-sex marriage thus became the law of the land for our northern neighbours joining the Netherlands and Belgium as the only three such nations in the world. Homosexuals everywhere cheered the decision, and for good reason, because if it could happen in Canada, it would happen in America. On July 28, the New York Board of Education announced the creation of a gay-oriented high school in New York City because in the words of Mayor Michael Bloomberg, everybody feels it's a good idea. <laughs> On August 4, the United Nations began considering a proposal that would support same-sex marriages in countries 
around the world. On August 5, the United Episcopal Church ordained its first gay bishop and on August 7, affirmed the establishment of gay unions. And then it talks about the United Methodist Church, the Presbyterian Church of the USA, the Evangelical Lutherans of America and many conservative Jews struggling with the same issues. On the liberal end of the religious spectrum, the battle is almost, is about lost. The United Church of Christ, the American Baptist Church, the Reformed Judaism and Unitarian Universalists permit the ordination of gay clergy and bless same-sex unions in some form. And then he talks about the scandal in the Roman Catholic Church where thousands and thousands of young men were molested by homosexual priests. And he thanks God that the Pope has come out on the side of the Bible and has called these actions an abomination in the sight of God. Then he says, Senator Kennedy, you're a good Roman Catholic. Are you listening? During the first week of August, the California State Legislature passed Assembly Bill 196 with the intent to protect transgendered people from employment and housing discrimination. Simply put, this bill would force Christian bookstores and perhaps even the Boy Scouts to hire or keep male employees who dress like women or women who dress like men. The fine for violating this law is $150,000. Let me say a word of warning. If this great nation founded on the Bible goes the way of Belgium and Canada, the blessing of God that has been over this nation will be removed. And America will stand naked before the terrorists. God will punish this nation as he punished Sodom and Gomorrah and the antediluvians. Let it be clearly understood that we love homosexuals Jesus died for them. I have homosexuals write to me. We love you. But we want you to know one thing. Enough is enough. And we will defend the church and the Bible and marriage and the nation. So help us God. So we will see what happens What will the church do? Even the Adventist church in some areas is under pressure to accept same-sex unions. Let the church stand firm for God or else judgment will come. Let me talk about abortion on demand. After you've left this sermon today, you better say, we certainly got it. (laughs) Abortion on demand. 
tens of millions of babies have been put to death. Even liberal politicians in this country say something is seriously wrong in the heart of America. So many abortions. Why has abortion on demand been accepted? Can you believe it that for a time as a nation we believed in an abortion as the baby is about, as the baby is being born? Where are the preachers? Where are the moralists? Why does this happen? Because we have accepted philosophies that demean human life. The Bible teaches that man is made in the image of God. He is distinct and glorious. He is not an enlarged protein molecule. The product of time plus matter plus chance, as is taught by all the philosophers. I have seen the outcome of this philosophy in the Soviet Union where they murdered 50 million people because they said a human being is nothing. Men and women are children of a loving God. Every person is important. That little baby with Down's syndrome. Like little Jessica in our church, thank God for her parents, George and Carla. Are you going to look in little Jessica's face and say, you don't have the right to live because you cause us trouble? Every baby in the womb is precious. Psalm 139. Psalm 139. I think the other side has had its say. It's time for us to have ours. Psalm 139, 13 and onwards. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Don't you realize that what is happening today is because of the acceptance of philosophies that started in Germany hundreds of years ago and then jumped across the British Channel and then after a long time got here to America. This is why these things are happening. I'm not here today to condemn those women who've had abortions. But I'm here to say abortion on demand is wrong. There's mercy and there's forgiveness for all of us. We're all sinners. We've all made mistakes. A girl who's had an abortion does not deserve ostracism and coldness. She needs support and love. But will not somebody raise a voice and say, enough is enough. I'm not here to condemn, but I'm here to plead that we will recognize and celebrate the sacredness of life and that we will not accept the philosophies 
of the world. For too long, Christians and ministers are on the defensive. Oh, we don't want to say anything. We'll... Now we've come to the place, yes, we accept abortion. We practice it in our hospitals. Yes, we do all of these things. Is it conceivable that if the time should last in 10 years, I would be preaching to you if I should last? And I should be saying in the church, well, we're going to have a same-sex wedding today because we've all come round it. That's not going to happen because it's wrong. Will God stop it? No, he won't. He won't stop it unless we decide to stop it. I want to talk about our culture of violence. We can be very proud to live in America. We can be proud to be Americans. But we can't be proud of the culture of violence. The Bible says that because the sons of God married the daughters of men, because Jerusalem became Babylon, the Bible says the earth was filled with violence. We live in the industrialized world in the most violent society. I have satellite television. We have hundreds of channels. It's alarming to see senseless violence, acts of brutality, to hear cursing and swearing as you surf up and down the channels. You see violence, blood, rape, everything. Who produces these movies? People who do not believe in God. The Hollywood people who hate Mel Gibson because he's put out the passion of the Christ. They hate this movie with a passion because they are a lawless, godless people. They are bringing up your children. TV executives recognize the compelling persuasive power of television. They know that ads will get people to do things. When I was in charge of running the meetings in the Sydney Opera House, that illustrious building at Benelong Point in Sydney, not far from the quay, we flooded the television stations with our television commercials. They were so successful that when the telephone calls came in, they burned out one night the Burwood Telephone Exchange. So many people calling. Television has got power. And people will look at me and they'll say, but children are not influenced by these things. That's what the television executives say. We say, then why do you spend millions of dollars to put that rubbish on at the Super Bowl? Oh, they say, because it works. Does. A child who watches violence may well become violent. This is the most violent society in the Western world. We kill more people here than all the other civilized countries put together. We are a violent people. A child who watches homosexuality may become influenced to accept that lifestyle. 
I want to say to every person here, and may this shock you today, there is a real devil, a mastermind of evil, and devil is the word evil with a D on the front, and the D stands for damnation. And evil is the word live, spelt backwards. There is a real devil, a mastermind of evil, who has an agenda to destroy our children, our homes, our nation, our church. Let's fight him by the grace of God. I admire those families who have homeschool. I know it's not possible for all. I counseled a young couple in my church the other day and I said, it's not for you, it's too much. But I admire those folks who do not want to send their children to the corrupt schools of the land. Talking about state schools. I admire those parents who've got rid of their television sets. And instead, they bought books and they read to their children. People say, do children read today? I say, ask Lara Bush. Those who read develop better, a million times better than those who watch the garbage of television. During the Battle of Waterloo, the French were trying to capture the Chateau Chateau of Hugomont. And the British were inside. The battle was going to turn on who held the Chateau. And the French under Napoleon stormed the chateau. And some British soldiers got to the door that had been flung open and they put their shoulders to the door and they closed the door and they barred the door and they won the battle. The battle of Waterloo depended on closing the door. Close the door. Close the door. Close the door and keep the devil out. Let me now speak on the most contentious issue in the history of the world. Same-sex marriage pales when I speak on this subject. The music of heaven and the music of hell. Young people, old people, get ready for it. Some churches in their attempt to reach the world have become the world. Jerusalem has become Babylon. There's no difference to going to a rock concert than going to the rock church. The people have got the same glazed look on their faces. Often the music of the world has become the music of the church. This is a contentious issue as John Wesley discovered when he took popular music and made it into hymns. You say, John Wesley wouldn't have done that. That's why the Anglicans got so mad with him, dearly beloved. Let me say this to the young people in the church. Some young people are as intolerant as their parents. Oh, if I can't have my music in church, I'm not going to come. Well, you expect that from a baby. We need to be tolerant of others. 
And one of the tragedies in the Christian church is the intolerance of old people. I refuse. I'm going to close down this church. I'm going to drive everybody out because they're not singing rock of ages. We need to have a little bit of Christian grace and tolerance. 